So last week, Sherm started a new series on all of the places that Jesus went to when he was here on earth. And I think it's going to be helpful for me. Uh, I'm a very part-time children's ministry teacher, and it's easy for me to see the life of Jesus in flat eight and a half by 11 pictures that we show to the kids. Uh, He did this thing, and then suddenly he magically appeared in this uh, town and taught this thing, and then he just kind of transports like Star Trek from place to place. But he was a real guy. He had to walk uh, if, he had, if he wanted to get to a place. And so th- this series is going to be good for me because Jesus like really went to different places that really do exist on a map. Um, so Jesus was baptized. You guys know that story, right? He goes up to his cousin, John the Baptist, who is baptizing tons of people. Now, John Uh, His mission was a little bit different. His mission was that he came to prepare the Israelites for Jesus' arrival. So he preached that everyone needed to repent and clean themselves because the Messiah was coming. That's a good thing to do before God's Son shows up in your neck of the woods is to prepare yourself, clean yourself, to start afresh all over again. So Jesus comes up to John the Baptist and says, hey, I'd like to be baptized too. John kind of says, no, you should be baptizing me. Like, this is, you know, odd. Uh, My whole ministry is because you're coming. And he finally relents and baptizes Jesus. And this story is amazing. At that moment, the moment Jesus comes up out of the water, he hears, uh, well, first he sees heaven opened. That's different, right? The Spirit of God comes upon Jesus. I want you to hold on to that thought. God's Spirit comes upon Jesus, like physically, and then he hears a voice from heaven saying, this is my Son whom I love. I want you to hang on to that detail too. The Spirit came upon Jesus physically. This is my Son whom I love. Hold on to those details. So the next stop we find Jesus on is the wilderness. Nowhere, the desert. I've been to a wilderness before. I bet you can probably think of a remote location that you've been to uh, in the past. The most remote place I've ever been to was a border crossing between Macedonia and Kosovo. Uh, It was dark. Uh, I had missed a flight. I was in a taxi. It's a long story. And I get to the border, and there's a guy... It looked like a cartoon standing in a shack that was big enough to hold one person, and it was completely dark, it was super late, it was snowing, and I handed him my American passport so he would let me cross into Kosovo. And I remember thinking, as I passed it to him over his machine gun, he could do anything he wants to me, and no one would ever know, right? Like, there was no, no one there to watch, there were no witnesses, There were just mountains where he could just toss my little body over and no one would ever think to look there, right? That was the most remote place that I've ever been to. And it's kind of a, it makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel lonely. It makes you feel stuff when you are in a spot where nobody else is around. Uh, We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 4, the very first part of the chapter today. And you got to open your Bibles and read it with me. Uh, or you can open it up on your phone or whatever, because there's a lot of details, and I'm going to go kind of quick today. You can find this story actually in three different Gospels, Matthew 4, uh, Mark 1, and Luke 4. Uh, All mostly tell the same story. Uh, We're going to mostly study uh, the book of Matthew, uh, but Luke has a couple details added that we're going to go through as well. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Oh, I, I should mention, this is like right after his baptism. Baptized, boom, he goes into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is so much to talk about in these little two, four verses that we just read. You notice that Jesus was led into the wilderness by who? The Spirit. This was the Spirit's idea. Jesus is baptized, the Spirit comes upon Jesus, and then the Spirit says, hey, let's go to the wilderness. Let's go for a walk. That very same Spirit that came upon Jesus says, let's go, and the goal is for you to be tempted by the devil. That's the purpose of this trip. I think it's surprising to read that Jesus can be tempted. Do y'all ever think about that? Brian Rodert, yes, can absolutely be tempted. You all, absolutely you can be tempted, and I know it. But Jesus, you bet. In a kind of math that really only God totally understands, God, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And that 100% man side of him can absolutely be tempted. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later. It makes us a little nervous if he can be tempted... Doesn't that imply that he could succumb to that temptation, that he could give in to whatever the devil suggests? That's kind of a scary thought. And what if Jesus, hungry as he was after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, what if he looked at a particular rock out there in the wilderness, maybe it was kind of shaped like a loaf of bread, and thought, you know, a bite would taste pretty good right about now. I am hungry. It has been 40 days after all. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is a beautiful book. And it looks at Jesus and it looks at him in a very rational way about why he must be the Son of God and what that means for us. And in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, the author says that calls Jesus the great high priest. We've got to talk about that for just a second. The great high priest. So for the Jews, the high priest was the mediator between God and man. God talked to his people through the high priest. The people talked to God through the high priest as well. He was the go-between. Everything happened in that kind of relationship. He stands in the gap for God's people and God. And here's what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus. I'll just read it for you. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he, what, did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So think about that just for a minute. Jesus, the devil is coming to Jesus with a legitimate temptation. He's hungry. And he's offering the simple suggestion of just creating a loaf of bread. 
The devil says to Jesus, just listen to what I say just for a second. We're all alone out here. Who's going to know? And unlike me or you, Jesus is able to resist. Not just this time, but every single time. Every single time in the life of Jesus, he was tempted to sin. He was able to resist. And that makes him a really, really, really good high priest. The best one possible. He is, Jesus does not sit in a high tower above us and look at all of us in our sin and go, I do not know what their problem is. What is the big deal with temptation? It's not that big a deal. Jesus was able to get down in the muck with us in our sin, experience every single temptation that we have experienced, and yet somehow he comes out of the muck totally clean, 100%, every single time. That makes him a really good high priest because he can relate to every single thing that we are going through. Now remember, it's the Holy Spirit that drug him out into the wilderness to face this temptation. I thought a lot about this. I don't, I, don't to, I don't think I totally understand why that had to take place. 40 days and 40 nights is a long time, isn't it? You think like, oh, think of the miracles he could have performed. Think of the healings that Jesus could have done in those 40 days. Well, he could have gone all over the place to cities that he never visited. I don't know. I don't think the Bible really answers why this temptation had to take place. I think maybe that God knew that Jesus needed to show us that it's possible to resist, that we can overcome these things, that we don't have to just do whatever the devil whispers in our ear. I think it's important for us to have a perfect high priest so that we can approach God's throne with total confidence, knowing that Jesus is standing in the gap for us, knowing that his sacrifice was perfect, totally, 100%. We know that he hears us, we know that he can relate to us, and he live, lives up in every way to the name that was given in his birth. Do you remember that? Emmanuel, God with us in the muck of our sin. Jesus can tell the Father exactly the predicament that we find ourselves in and that his perfection makes his sacrifice absolutely perfect. He's a really good high priest, church. Jesus is weak after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. I've never done that. The tempter comes and launches his first grenade, if you are the Son of God. Remind me again what the voice from heaven said just a little bit ago at his baptism. What did the voice from God say, or voice from heaven say? This is my Son. What is Satan's first question? If you are the Son of God... I tell you what, if, if I was at a baptism and I heard a voice from heaven saying that this was my son, I would believe the voice. I just feel like maybe we should listen to what the voice from heaven has to say about that guy. And Satan's very first temptation is calling that into question, which I do not think is a coincidence. It is very common for me when I'm talking to someone who is at that stage where in their life with Jesus that they feel they, it's time to get baptized. It's kind of the, a turning point in their life. And I tell them every single time, right after their baptism, hey, excited for you, today's a new day, mark it on the counter with the big red X, but tomorrow, Satan's going to whisper in your ear every single time. I've seen it a hundred times. You're going to go home, and you're going to be tempted by something, and you're going to think, it didn't work. The baptism didn't work. Why? I should be clean. All of this muck should go away, but it doesn't. I don't think it's coincidence that Satan does the exact same thing to Jesus. Hey, 
just got baptized, huh? That's a big deal. If you are the Son of God, are you sure you can trust that voice in the heaven? Did your baptism really work? Let me ask you all another question. This sermon has far more questions than answers today. What sin was Satan trying to get Jesus to commit here? It's not a sin to be hungry. Eating bread isn't a sin unless you're on a low-carb diet. I'm not sure it's really obvious what the sin is until you read Jesus' reply. I think Satan was trying to get Jesus to shift his priorities. Jesus went to the wilderness all the time. Like This was kind of a pattern that we see in his ministry. The disciples would come to Jesus and would say, Oh my goodness, look at the crowds that are coming to follow you. And he would say, Bye. I'm going to go be alone for a little while. I need to spend time in the desert. Sometimes they knew where he was going. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes Jesus just literally disappeared to go off by himself to be with his father. On this retreat in his, into the wilderness, it was like he was so intently spending time with his father that he forgot to eat for 40 days. You know what? Are you with, are you with me in that? There's a passage in the book of Philippians that talks about what all that Jesus gave up in order to come and be a human, to be a man. Remember that for all of eternity up to that point, he was in perfect fellowship, perfect communion with his father. And he lost some of that, didn't he, when he became a man. And it's almost like when he escapes to the wilderness, when he goes into the desert, it's like, I got to spend time with my dad. I want to be with the Father uninterrupted for 40 days and 40 nights. We have a lot to catch up on. His physical body became less important than his soul. And Jesus sees right through the devil's trap. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy and reminds Satan that our true nourishment comes from God's word. Not from bread, not from fake bread that used to be a rock, but from God's word. He quoted, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, he quoted right out of what would have been his Bible, except he didn't have a Bible on his phone, right? He didn't have a printed Bible to carry around with him. He had a scroll, except he didn't really have the scroll. His rabbi at the synagogue where he grew up had a scroll, and everybody in the whole church shared it, Synagogue shared it, and nobody ever, it never left the building because it was so precious. There was only one. How is it that Jesus, at this exact moment, doesn't need to look in his phone for what to say to the devil when he wants me to turn stones into bread? It just, he just knew it. Inside of Jesus' heart, he knew, oh, God has, knows exactly what to say in response to the devil. He knows how to read God's word, it's stuck in his memory, and he knows how to apply it when the temptation comes. That requires a little bit of thought, doesn't it? I remember, who wants to hear my confession today? Way back in college, uh, like five years ago, I, um, we had to memorize portions of the Bible, a lot actually, and there, the, the typical pattern was you would show up in class, the, the professor would hand you a sheet of paper, it was usually just you know, blanks of whatever passage you were supposed to mem- uh, memorize, and then you had to write, fill in the blanks. And I, you would always catch me 
up until the moment the piece of paper was handed to me, looking at the verse, trying to cram it into my head at the very last second, right? And then after I was finished with the test, the moment I turned it in, it just, it all leaked right back out, right? I did it all the time. Do you all forgive me for doing that? Okay. Made me, made me nervous, yeah. So, but the other thing, I remember I was in a group with Kinda, and we memorized the book of Philippians together. It took us an entire year. And every single day, we would add a verse to whatever we, we, we uh, had already memorized. And we would say the whole thing from Philippians 1.1 up until the point that we got there. And I tell you what, it still comes out. It is still in my mind. I can probably do Philippians 1 at least without even hesitating because I spent tons of time on it. Kinda, can you? I figured. It's crazy how it's in there still. So the difference between cramming for a test in order to get a grade and actually chewing on God's word for an entire year, it's a huge difference. And I, that's the kind of per, I want to be more like, not like the cramming person right? I want God's word to just be in me so much that it just comes out. Every single person in this room needs to be able to read God's word, understand it, apply some principles that help us learn to apply it, and then do what it says. When Jesus was in the wilderness, could he call his rabbi and say, rabbi, this, the devil is right here. What do I do? No. It had to be inside of him. It had to be a part of who he was so that when the time comes, and it comes, church, we know what to do. Verse 5. Oh my goodness, this sermon's going to be long. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, there it is again, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Ooh, the devil's crafty, isn't he? He actually quoted God's word to Jesus. And it's a real quote. It's from Psalm 91. Jesus used God's word to try and tempt God's son. This is unwise. You should not do these things, right? Like this is a pretty bold move. He says, hey, we're way up high. You know what? If you throw yourself down from here, you know God would send angels to protect you. You're God's son after all. You know nothing's going to happen to you. And Jesus' response is quick. Uh, the created do not put the creator to the test. That is even more unwise. You do not need to test God will keep his promises. I love that. Round 3, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Getting a little more direct here. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The dev then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Something stuck out to me in this passage. Satan has three names in this chapter. Did you see that? The devil, Satan, and the tempter. All the same guy. Another one of Satan's names is the father of lies. 
the father of lies. Jesus himself gave him that title. Did you know that? And in round three, he decides to twist things just a bit to try and tempt Jesus. Imagine, I don't know how this worked. You're up on a high mountain and you just look and you can see all the kingdoms of the world. The devil lays it all out right in front of him. And he says, all you got to do is just worship me just the tiniest bit. Just worship me and I'll give it all to you. You can have it all. Let me ask you here's a question. Was the devil lying when he offered to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? He is. But it's a tricky question. The Gospel of Luke, remember how I told you this passage is in three different books of the Bible? The Gospel of Luke adds a sentence to what the devil said. I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Can he? Does the devil have the authority to give God's kingdoms away to people? So Jesus himself calls the devil the prince of the world. And when I look around, I have to acknowledge that I do see there's an evil force present in just life. Do you all sense that? That things are going badly for God's creation. It's not working the way that he intended it to work. But, before we're quick to, too quick to give the devil credit for that, I think most of his power only comes from when we give in to whatever his temptation is. Other passages in the Bible show the devil has to ask for permission from God before he does certain things. So maybe the devil could temporarily give the kingdoms away to Jesus, but only right before God comes and yanks them back to create heaven and earth all over again for the new creation. When he makes our bodies perfect, he makes creation perfect once again. So it's sort of an empty giving, I guess, and I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that Jesus wouldn't see right through that temptation. Does that make sense? So Satan's promise, it might not be an outright lie, but it sure isn't the whole truth, and that's what the devil is very, very good at. And Jesus sees right through it. Again, he quotes from Deuteronomy, worship God alone, serve God only, not Satan. As I was studying this week, I wondered a lot about this idea of God bringing Jesus out into the wilderness in order to tempt him. The Holy Spirit did it, right? Doesn't it kind of seem like a trap? And if that's the case, does God do that to us? Does he try and trap us? Part of the problem is that the uh, original word for temptation is also translated tested. That's different, isn't it? A temptation and a test are very different things. And I think maybe the Greek word is about halfway between temptation and testing. That's how it is when you're trying to translate from one language to, to another. Sometimes there's no direct comparison. And so the Greek word that we have tempted here other times is translated tested. James, the brother of Jesus... He addresses this very issue in his book, chapter 1. Here's what it says. When tempted, 
No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's important, church. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I think that's the key. If Rockford is an evil place, it's probably not because the devil is in charge of Rockford. It's because the people who live in Rockford are giving in to what the devil is tempting them to do. You know what else I noticed in this passage? All three times Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. You know what we find in the book of Deuteronomy, the story that we find there? It's the story of the people of Israel having just escaped slavery in Egypt, wandering in the desert. It's interesting. And while they were in the desert, God tested them a lot. He gave them opportunity after opportunity to follow him. Their, their journey in the desert was to teach them, here's what it means to be God's people. Here's the things that we do and that we don't do. And when Jesus finds himself in that very same situation of being tested, he quotes the very words of God that, they, that he taught to them. I think that's really, I don't know, pretty cool thing. Here's what we do. I think it's really clear from this interaction that we as a church and as individuals have to know God's word. Not know how to look something up. I think it has to be in us. I think that when it counts, when the temptation comes, when we find ourselves with the apple right in front of us and Satan is there trying to tell us what to do, I think that's when God's word needs to come out of us. It needs to leak out. The culture around us is going to continue to throw all kinds of nonsense at us. Sometimes I feel like the rate of change is alarming. Do you all sense that? Like, oh my word, what issue are we going to have thrown at us now? And I'm so glad that we have God's word with us. Like, it doesn't change. The stories that it teaches us about Jesus, the, the characteristics that we learn about God never ever change, no matter what the culture tries to throw, ourselves, throw at us. We need to know the things that God taught us about himself, so that when someone tries to tell us something wrong about God, a little alarm bell goes off in our head and we go, no, that's not true. Second thing I think we have to do is don't panic when you're tempted. It's going to happen. It happened to Jesus and it's going to happen to us. It's not unusual. If Jesus can be tested, why would we be any different than that? There is a very real chance, church, listen, that, ev that the weakness that you have, that you have struggled with up until this point, you will continue to struggle with that very same weakness all throughout your life. And the devil absolutely knows what that weakness is, and he's going to poke at it every chance that he gets to see if he can get you to fall again. Why would he tempt you in an area where you're strong? He tempts us in the areas where we poke. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? Poke. Does that bother you? Poke. Sinned again, didn't you? This is not an unusual tactic that the devil uses, and we should be prepared for it. When temptation comes... Or when the testing comes, remember that it might, it might be the Spirit himself that led you to that point of temptation. And he's given us the tools that we need to stand up to that temptation. 
Finally, I think it's very important not to give the devil too much credit. I've actually taught on this chapter before in front of people who were superstitious, and they got nervous every time I mentioned the devil's name. It's okay. We're good. We got the spirit inside of us. But let's not give the devil too much credit. Most of the temptation is already in us. Do you all sense that? James said the temptation comes when our own evil desires, what's already in us, drag us away. Most of the dumb, sinful things that I do are my idea. They're not the devil's. Sometimes Satan reminds me of my weaknesses. Sometimes he pokes at them. But it's usually my own fault when I give in. The devil made me do it is not a defense for the Christians. But I kind of, I was thinking about this. That might be a good thing. That the, the evil is in us instead of outside of us coming at us. Because that means I can take that evil that's in me and I can hold it out in front of God and say, I need help with this. This thing in my life keeps cropping up, and you and me need to work on this together. Because you know, you know who else is in there? The Spirit of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, God promises to come and live in you. And together, if we're honest about our sin with God, we can say, I can't do this alone. I need your spirit to pluck out the evil that's in there and help me to be more like your son. I don't need to worry about what the devil is going to do. I need to just know that God's spirit is inside of me and he and us can work on those sins together. I find hope in that. Do you all feel that? That I don't have to worry about whether or not the devil is doing the temptation because I have God's spirit inside of me and he and I and he and us can work on that sin together. It requires an awful lot of honesty, doesn't it? It requires me to be brave and pretend. <laughs> I, I, I like to pretend like I'm hiding it from God. Do you all do that? It's laughable, isn't it? I feel a lot of hope in that. I feel like that is something that we need to shout to all of the people that we have in our mind whenever we say one person at Central Christian Church. Who in your life needs to know that, hey, you don't have to be bogged down by sin. That you and the Holy Spirit can work on it together to be more like Jesus. Do you? I feel like that's great news. Do you all feel like that's good news? I think it's really good news, and I think it's news that we all need to share with the people that God has put in our life that don't know that yet, that don't know, that they don't have to be drug along by whatever the devil decides to throw their way, that we can live in the Spirit, and that we can know God's Word and use it to respond to His temptations. I'd like to pray together as a church as I finish up this morning, and I, we're going to pray that we can stand up to the temptation that might happen in the lobby before we even leave this building. It might happen when we're with our spouse tonight trying to figure out what we're having for dinner. It might happen when we're school supply shopping, trying to get ready for school coming up this week. Sorry, guys. It absolutely will come, and God has given us the tools that we need to resist.
Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for um, this. Well, this is a, like, a, like a superhero movie of a battle between the devil and Jesus in the desert. I thank you for the, that we have it recorded, that we know what Jesus did to resist. We know how he fought back. We know that he wasn't helpless. And God, we know those things are true about us as well. I pray that as a church, we would know your word, that we would be quick to apply it when the situation arises, that we would um, not be afraid of what the devil might throw at us, but Father, that we would uh, be courageous, courageous knowing that you live inside of us. Father, I pray as a church we would shout uh, the good news that we can fight back against temptation. Father, we thank you for your spirit in us. And I ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. If today you are ready to make the very first step in following Jesus, um, I would love to visit with you. Uh, I'll be here down front after the service is over. If you would like uh, to pray together with uh, me or with some of the other leaders in the church, um, Please come forward and we'll talk to about some things as well. Please stand.